Good day, my friends, and welcome to the new Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, the brand made famous by Martina Hingis, John McEnroe, and Gabriella Sabatini. Check them out at SergioTacchini.com and use the code CRAIG30 in all caps to receive 30% off of your order. Today's guest was born in Tahiti and raised in the south of France. In the 80s, was a top junior winning the Orange Bowl and the Junior French Open. Armed with two-fisted strokes off both wings, he reached a career high of 17 and posted wins over virtually every world number one that played tennis from 89 to 2000. The magician, Fabrice Santoro, is today's guest. How are you? I think I'm okay. I think I'm cool. Things got very hot here uh yesterday and the day before and i think we have one i think we have another day of it about to come and um it's very interesting uh but let me ask you a quick question are you in switzerland or are you in france i moved to france a few months ago you did uh where where in france are you i'm in paris i'm just a few uh, like 50 meters from roland garros 50 meters from roland garros yeah, that's where I live. My man, you can't do better than that. You're Fabrice yeah, Santoro. Okay. That's unbelievable. I can't uh, complain. As you just heard, the gentleman you hear who cannot complain and just moved to 50 meters from Roland Garros is Le Magician, right? Magician? How do you say it? Magician? How do you say magician? it? Magician. Yeah, magician. Magician. The yeah. great, you know, he beat 17 world number ones. Uh, we spoke wow. very briefly a year or two ago, but uh, we're going to do it right this time. And that is Fabrice Santoro. So what are we talking, we're going to talk about? Tell me. Thank you for uh, joining, uh, joining me, my man. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks to you. So, you know, I do a five-set format, and the first set we call it the off-the-court report. I'm curious to know what your last 10 weeks has been like since Indian Wells canceled um were you in the united states quiet? were you in the united states when it canceled or no were you in no no i was i was in paris actually and the last um so the last 10 weeks w- was uh very quiet but if i if i put on the side how bad was the situation around the world i would say that this period was um probably something i need to uh, to stay calm, to stay home, to enjoy free time, yeah, to to sleep in my bed in my bed for a few weeks would never happen. And uh, for all those reasons, I will say that uh, the past ten weeks were positive to me. You embraced the pause, um, and did you stay safe? Did you wear a mask? Did you go out? Did you stay home? What did you do? I did um, I. I bike every morning, like from 6 to 7, or from 6.30 to 7.30 for like one, one hour, and then gym at home. And the rest of the day, I was reading, relaxing at home, listening music, reading, actually cleaning the house because I was alone. <laughs> and then nobody can, can, nobody can come in. And um, once again, like, I can't complain. I was not lost during this period. I was not depressed, something like that. I was just feeling... Happy to have time to think. Fabrice uh, Santoro cleans his house, reading book. Now, what book did you read? Can you tell us what book you read? I, 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 can, I can show you one. I can show you one I have here. 
He's walking to the back of his room. He's the last one I just told you. This is the last one. Ah, he's reading Mike Tyson. He's reading Tyson. Um, That's what, the last one I just I just bought. What made you want to read about Mike Tyson? Because I, I, I heard many good things on, on, on the book. When I was a kid, I followed all his career. And uh, I thought uh, he's a kind of man who, um, even if he's around 50 or 53, he had many lives uh, with, with good memories and bad memories, like all of us. And uh, I think he's, uh, he's I, I, like, I, like, I like the person. He's had a very amazing uh, life uh, in the public eye. Uh, do you have any relationship with him? Have you met him? I know that he has a relate. His daughter has a is a tennis player, and he has uh, a relationship with Patrick Muradoglu. I do you have you met Mike Tyson? Uh, I I know he, lo he loves tennis and especially daughter plays a lot, but I never met. him. You've not met him. Okay. Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll all be seeing a lot more of Mike uh, in the coming, you know, in the coming uh, years. Let's move into our second set. Uh, this is the on the court report. Normally we talk. We'd be normally we'd be talking about the second week of Roland Garros, right? This is the this is yeah. the moment where we would be into the fourth round and the quarterfinals would be about to shape up, right? But since that's not happening, um, I think I want to ask you really about your impressions of the business of tennis. Let's start with the French Tennis Federation and Roland Garros. Can you share anything that you have found interesting that's happened over the last 10 weeks? Uh, I would just share them how important it is for the French Federation, Tennis Federation, and for the French tennis that Roland Garros will will be played this year um, because the, 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 the federation has did many um, extension on the stadium the last the past few years big one big amount of money we, we are not in the same situation as Wimbledon if the tournament is cancelled we have no insurance and um, all the money from the tournament is going back to all the um, all, the, all around the country to teach tennis and to build the new players for the future. So we, we could be in big trouble if the tournament is, is, is cancelled. And uh, on the other side, there's, because of the big amount of money, the federation needs the tournament to be played to just pay the bank. <laughs> I need to ask you, before, I, I should have asked you first, are you with the federation now? The last time I saw you, you were with Pierre Uger Bear. Oh, are, are, what is your work right now aside from broadcasting? Um, I, yeah, I do broadcasting for French and UK TV. Yeah, I love this job. Uh, I'm playing some exhibitions still around yeah. the world sometimes, and I, and all the rest of my activities are out of tennis. I stopped working with uh, Pierre Uger because. Um, because I said, okay, I'm like 46, 47 years old. And I could, because I love the job and because Pierre Hugues is such a nice person, I could do this job for the next 10 years. But no, I want to stay home. I want to enjoy life. I want to stay with the family. I want to take more holidays. I want to travel for leisure and not for the, to work. And uh, so we talked with Pierre Hugues and we decided that uh, we'd be better to, to stop. But still, we talked yesterday. 
We yeah. stay this morning and we stay very close. But you are not with the Federation. No, I'm not. Okay, okay. Um, so you just happen to move very close to Roland Garros. You're not yes. there as part of the Federation. You just live near there. I'm a, I'm a free man. You're I'm a free not, man. With the Federation. You're a free agent. Um, what has your impressions been of Andrea Gaudenzi and his leadership? Do you know him? I know Andrea for so many years because we are more or less the same generation. I'm sure he can do a great job. Since he's the ATP CEO, he had many, for, for a start, it was a very tough start. You know, we, it's, I think it's very easy to, I say, to blame. Criticize yes. and blame. To criticize and blame this ATP CEO, uh, the president of, of France, uh, all the presidents around the world regarding the situation because we, we, are in, we, we were in a situation the last 10, 10 weeks and we, maybe we're still there where nobody knows where we are going. So it's very tough to take decision and to, um, when, no. when you have no visibility, you know. Because what what you say on Monday, what what looks true on Monday can be wrong on Tuesday. Have you um, had any conversations? Do you know anything that maybe we don't that they're going to try to do moving forward? Is the merger? No, no. no. I have no discussion with Andrea. Um, the only thing I know is tournament, as you as you probably know, is off till end of July. Hopefully. There will be um, two tournaments will be played in the U.S. during August, and then the U.S. Open, and then back to Europe for the French. That's the best we can hope at the moment, and uh, hopefully it will happen. Do you have any opinion about tennis with no spectators? It's clearly not ideal, but it's, it's the best decision in the worst case. Play, 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 play the tennis and get the television in position and that's it. Tournament, French, French crowd during two weeks is around 500,000 people coming to Roland Garros. So those 500,000 people will lose the opportunity to see the best players in the world. But how many million people will be able to see tennis on TV? It's also the, the best, it's, it's, an, it's a great opportunity for the top players to win a major. It's a great opportunity for the player between 50 and 100, 120 in the world to, to, win, to make money. So I, do, I don't like tennis without crowd. No. But regarding the situation, let's do it. It will happen once, it will never happen again, but let's do it this year. Do what you gotta do. Now, uh, I got to ask you, since you're right next to Roland Garros, is there any action over there? Are players practicing? Is uh, Monfia? Who's over there? Is Songa over there? Is Monfia over there? No, I saw, I saw Gasquet. Uh, I saw Mladenovic. I didn't see Joe and Gael, but they're not living in Paris. And no, it's, it's pretty quiet, but still, the, the, the stadium is not finished yet. Mm -hmm. We'll be finished for September, clearly. Uh, but you know, it was very quiet. Um, but uh, happy to see some uh, when 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 I walk around to see that the noise of the ball on the racket. A little bit. You like to hear a little missing, action. I, I was missing this noise. Missing the noise. Are you, have you been hitting any balls? Do you hit any balls? Uh, I played like twice with a friend. That's it. Twice Terrible. with a friend. Terrible. Terrible. <laughs>
What, where, how do you feel about French tennis at the moment? We are just at the end of um, 12, 14 great years with a very good generation. Unfortunately, we didn't win a major. And the next 10 years should be very difficult. Very difficult. Why? Because we don't have the same quality of players. And I don't think, I, don't, I can't see any player who will be able to win a major in the next 10, 10 12 years. What about Hugo Ambert? What about Hugo? He's a pretty good player, man. He's a good player. We, I, I didn't say we don't have any good players. We have a couple. Hugo is great. Hugo is great. Uh, we, have, we have some good players. But on my point of view, not good enough to win a Grand Slam. Hopefully, I'm wrong. Let's move into our third set. This is the portion of our show where we talk about your career. You know, I, I understand that your father was your coach. Um, yeah. And you started with two hands on the racket from a young age. Is that right? Six, six years old, actually, the first time I walked on a tennis court. I was um, very small. And at this time, around 1978, 79, actually, you cannot play tennis with a small racket and a light racket. It was only the racket for adults. So the only chance for me to hold this big racket for a small boy was to take it with two hands. It was just natural. And, and you're, you're naturally a righty. The, the forehand, you slice yeah. almost every single ball. Yes, and then you, way and too then, much. And then you roll the backhand. My backhand is, is, is very simple, very classic. But you, and my forehand, yeah. when my front slice is very, um, how do you say, tricky? It's yeah, I mean, it's a very, but you, you sliced almost every single forehand. Did you ever roll the forehand or not really? Yeah, I, I can, only, only in the practice session. Only in practice you can go over the top, and then when you played matches, you would almost slice almost every forehand. That's amazing. Just the same as Tiffy Graff. Just the same as Steffi Graf 20 years ago. Backhand stop spin one yeah. hand on the practice and yeah. only slide during the match. The same exact thing. Now, yeah. you had a tremendous junior career. Um, you won the Orange Bowl uh, and yeah. you won the junior French. Isn't that right? In 1989. What was your junior tennis career like? Did did, were you traveling all over the world? Were you identified as uh, a major talent in France? Like, what was that like for you? I was just traveling around the world with a coach from the Federation. At this time, my father was not my coach. I'm coming from a very uh, normal and classic family in France. My father was working in the Marines. And my mother was not w working. So I was happy to play tennis. I never thought, like... I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to, I'm going to win, I'm going to be there with rich ranking. I was just happy to be on the tennis court. I was happy to play tennis. And then I was happy to win my life with tennis. And um, I always had the passion of the game. How did for me, yeah. yeah, for me, it, it doesn't matter if I was 15, 25 or 35. I was always happy to be on a tennis court and take pleasure and, and give pleasure to people. When did you, was there a moment where you thought you could become very good? Like, when was the moment where you said, oh, you know what? 
I could become a great player. Did you beat someone in juniors? Did, did something happen? I think it's just something, something happens when, um, you know, when you start winning all, the, all the, the players of your generation, of your age, and you win in the, the under 16 and then under 18, uh, um, the junior in the French Open. And you can see that when you play, most of the time you, 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 you give trouble to your opponent, you win many matches. And it's very step by step. It's very step by step. But um, I was, I just grew up with, uh, with this message in, in my mind from my father, who always told me, you, you don't need to be number one in the world. The only thing to, to, you need to do is to be your number one. We don't know if your best will be 80, 50, 20, or five in the world, but try to be your number one. Try to be the best you can be. The best be. you can be. The um, best you can be. You, 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 we are not, we, there's only one number one. So we can't be all number one, you know, it's tough. Now, did you go to school or did you get pulled out of school when you were 13 years old? I, I, had, to, I had to stop school when I was 16 because I was, uh, I was professional. You turned pro and that was it. I think you beat Jimmy Connors in, in 1989. Is that true? I beat Jimmy in 1992. Oh, sorry, 92. In, in Vienna, in Austria, in October 92, and um, Vienna tournament indoor. And now, can you name all the world number ones you've beaten, or do you have to look? I mean, you, you beat Connors. 17? I, I, I don't know. I think maybe more, but let's just see. You beat Connors. You beat that, yeah. Agassi, Baker, Edberg, Sampras, Rafter, Querten, Safin, Yewit, Rios. But that's ten. Moya, eleven. Federer, twelve. Djokovic, thirteen. Wait, there's others. I think I think you. Uh, you wait, 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 wait! Give me a chance. Wait. Yeah. What about Vlander? Yeah, Vlander, Mats, of course. You beat Vlander. What about uh, Kafelnikov? You never beat Kafelnikov. Never beat Yevgeny. You know, your career, your 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 number, your your ranking, and your your results. Are, are, are quite up and down. What, what happened that got you into the top 20? All those guys I bet, I, I beat. I beat them between Monday and Friday because my game was very tough physically. And when I was fresh, I, w I had always had the feeling that I can beat many guys. But when I get tired, oh, I also beat Mooster. I forgot Mooster. Mooster, 14. 15, 15, no, 15. Yeah. 15. So I always thought that uh, when I'm fresh, I can play against anybody. You, so you felt like you could beat anybody in the world when you were fresh, but you got tired. The tournaments tired you out. Yeah, when I was tired after three matches, like for the weekend, and you know, you know that in the weekend, that's where you can improve your ranking a lot when you go semifinal, final, or win the, win the tournament. And I was always dead or too tired physically. So I cannot make enough points to improve my ranking. Um, what clicked for you, though? At the back end of your career, you had some really good results. Um, 
Were you happy in your personal life? Did you figure something out mentally? What did it just take you time? What what was it that you know you played for twenty years, man? But you know yeah. your your last five years really is where you did some real damage. Yeah, I, I started in nineteen eighty nine and finished in two thousand and ten. So it's a pretty long career, of course. Um, I always thought that when I was when I was getting older. I was lo- losing just a little bit physically, but mentally and regarding the experience, I was, w- I was winning much more with the experience than I was losing physically. You got better uh, mentally and uh, strategy. Yeah. You, 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 is, that, is that true? Would that be fair to say? I always I had, I had the feeling at the end of my career that it was very easy to play tennis. Because I was very, I know exactly my game, what I have to do, what I can do, what I can't do, what I will never be able to do. And also it was very easy for me to, to build a strategy for a match. I'm going to do, start doing this. And after like half an hour, if it works, I keep going. If I, if I have to change something, I will do it. I know my opponent. And it was something very comfortable for me to play tennis because when I was 16 or 18 years old, every time I was walking on the court, I was completely lost. No, why? Why? Explain that. Completely lost. Because because when you do this job and you're out on the court and you have no experience, you don't know how to manage a match, how to deal with your opponent, how to deal with the pressure, how to deal with the media, what to do one or two days before a match, how you have to practice, what you have to do two hours before a match. Also, where you have to stay, if you have to be under pressure, stress or not. It gives many trouble in your mind. And at the end of my career, I was controlling all these things. Who did you love to torture the most? Is it, is it Marat? I mean, you beat Marat. Oh, seven of course. You love to kill this Marat. Is a, this is not a question. It's a clear answer. You just love to beat, beat Marat. I know, I, know, I know when you, give, you ask me a question and you know the answer. I like that. No, I know it. But, but what was, like, did you just like, did you like to just watch him? Because he was so... Uh, emotional could you just watch him go crazy when you played him for our listeners inside my inside my body was fun for our listeners uh fabrice beat marat safin uh seven times he's seven and two and you beat him in some big matches as well yes sure but you know i was very happy to play against him very happy to beat him but also sometimes it was a strange feeling because he's such a nice person. And I was looking at him the other side of the net. <laughs> he was becoming completely crazy, completely nuts. And, and at the end of the match, he doesn't know anymore how to play. But if you look at the way he plays and the way I play, he's a much better player than me. He should have beat me many, many more times than I what, did. When you went to play him, what was your strategy? What did you say you were going to do to him to torture him? Make him break some rackets. You were going to frustrate him, but, but was it by keeping the ball in the court or was it by moving the ball all around the court? What was it that you did to him special? <laughs> May I make him play, play very slow, very slow on his forehand, make, me, make him move forward sometimes and not only side to side, putting a lot of pressure on his second, on his second serve, come to the net. I noticed that that's something I watched you do when I was getting ready for the interview is I don't think people quite realize 
you took the ball extremely early on the return, yeah. on the return. Yeah. It, yeah. Did that come from, where, where, was that something that Gene Mayer uh, had you do, or did, is that something you did from an early age? Because you something stayed way inside the court. Yeah, something very natural, or something my father teach me, because uh, he saw that uh, with two-handed, uh, both sides, it's very easy to take the ball early. And for me to do like almost a half volley on the return was not something very difficult. It's, I think it's much easier with two hands. Oh, I see. So because you were two hands on both sides, you were very comfortable just yeah. sort of being way inside the thing and just kind of half volleying the, the returns. For yeah. me, it's just an opposition. It's just an opposition to the ball. Your best moment in tennis? When, the Fran when France, France won the Davis Cup in Australia in 2001 final against uh, you with Rafter. How important has been, you know, being a French player to you? Is it something that you carry the way, you know, uh, Lecomte and Noah and these guys all, are you part of that fraternity? It's tough for me to answer, but the, the culture of tennis is very big in France. Uh, I was uh, felt very lucky to do this job. Um, I still I follow I follow tennis now, here and there. I was always all my life I will be in touch with tennis more or less. Now it's a bit less than I used to do. But this generation you mentioned with Noah, Lecomte, Forger, and then Birch, purely and myself and all the other players, we are very we are a country of tennis clearly. Um, how? Would you describe your your pro career and your tennis to someone who maybe didn't know a lot about you? Someone with um, uh, limited potential, but who uh, always was always giving hundred percent of what he can, and uh, always trying his best and always fighting until the last ball. And if people remembers me like this. It's enough to me. And I have to ask you, I, I asked you the first time I met you, but I want to ask again yeah. for our listeners, who were you looking at when you would roll, would you roll your eyes up into the crowd before you served? You did like a funny thing with your, with yeah. your, with your, in your position. What's the story behind that? Many players on tennis court makes funny things during a match. And me, I was looking at my corner, my staff and my family to get the, inter the energy from the crowd, from my my crowd, my family. So you were rolling your eyes up into the box. You were looking at the box. Yeah. yeah. And what other quirky exactly. thing? And, I, and you have some other things that you would do, right? Oh, yeah, actually, I was, what I was doing is every time I, I walk on, on the court as the first player, I was taking the right, the right, the chair on the right side of the umpire. You would always take the chair on the right side of the umpire. You yeah. would never sit on the left. No. Always never. the right. Always the right. Yeah. For your whole career. Whole career. You can check. Go and see <laughs> some videos. Go and see at the right chair. If, if, do you ever, if, if the first player came out and took the chair to the right and you took the left, could you still win the match or you could not win the match? Oh, oh yeah, you if could. If I have no choice, I pick up the left. But if I, if I walk on the court first, I pick up the right. That's it. Let's move into our fourth set. This is the 10-ball scramble. I say something, 
and you say what comes into your mind, okay? We don't go okay. deep. Favorite tournament? Roland Garros. Favorite court? Could be any court in the world. Um, you mean surface or court? Surface? It's a, well, no, I mean, is there a special court that you always love to play on? Anywhere, you know? Rod Laver Arena. You love Rod Laver Arena. Why is that? Because I, have, I won two Grand Slam in doubles in this court, and we won the Davis Cup final. Favorite city? Um, Melbourne. You love Melbourne. Everyone yeah. loves Melbourne. Uh, favorite, favorite racket? Which racket did you play with that you love the most? Ed Radical. Is it true that you have a huge racket collection? No, it's wrong. That's not true. I used to have a couple, I mean, quite a lot, but then I gave one to my friend and one to you and one to blah, blah, and at the end, I have not much. <laughs> you downsized. How do you string your racket? My attention. And what, what string do you play with? I play on the, on the main. I was playing with uh, Luxilon and on the cross with Gut. 23, what, 22 kilos. 23, 22. That's it. Yeah. Always. Um, yeah. Do, do, you save, do you save your credentials? I used to do it, but not anymore. I mean, I, and then I, I threw everything one day. Every, one day you threw everything out? Yeah. Were you having a tough time that day or you just got tired of everything? No, just because sometimes, you know, you change apartment, house, you move. And, and when you keep something for like 10 or 15 years and you never have a look at, that means you can throw it away. Uh, where do you keep your trophies? My uh, office. Your favorite player growing up? In the, what do you mean? In the new generation? No, you, when you were growing up, who was your favorite player? John McEnroe. And what about in the women? Is there any women that you like to, you like, you like, you, you supported? Yeah, Steffi Graf. Who is your favorite players now? Roger Federer. And then the women, do you like, is there a player you like to watch? Andrescu. You like Andrescu? Yeah, a lot. Let's move into our fifth and final set. This is what we call the king of the court. If you could be okay. the king, if you could be the king of tennis, and you can make okay. a change, and you can make a change in the sport with no okay. aggravation, what would your what would it be? If I can change something in tennis now, wait. Something very easy. I remove the net on serve. Very easy. Very simple. You would move the net. We, we, don't need the, we don't need the net on serve. This is something, this is a decision we should take five minutes to discuss. Wait, explain that. Because we, keep the, we, we, we don't stop the point during the rally when the ball touches the net. You, you would get rid of the let. Yeah, I remove the net on serve. Remove the let, no let. No, no let. No let, okay, okay. I thought you meant remove the net. Take the whole net no. out. I thought that would be a little no, bit. No, no, sorry, my fault. My fault. <laughs> Take you. You would play the lets. Yeah, same I as in same as in college here, is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. I don't. I don't understand why the ATP didn't take this decision yet. Because for me, as I just told you before, it should be a decision takes five minutes. Do you think that um, the ATP and the WTA could merge? I have not enough information to answer your question. The idea is good. The idea is very sexy. 
but give me more information and then I answer. Hey, Fabrice uh, Santoro, listen, first of all, um, thank you for, uh, you know, taking the time to, to talk with me. And, uh, My and if all goes well, maybe we'll be talking about uh, results at Roland Garros, hopefully uh, in the near future. Uh, enjoy your new flat in Paris. I hope uh, you get back on the court a little bit. Okay, thanks, Greg. Fabrice Santoro, you are Thank released. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Thank you. Ciao, bye-bye. Thanks. Merci beaucoup to Fabrice Santoro, and thank you to Bertrand Madsen for arranging the interview. I'd like to thank Sergio Tacchini. See what they're doing at SergioTacchini.com and use my code, CRAIG30, in all caps at checkout. Thank you to our new patron, Betty Stoke from Antwerp, Belgium. If you've been thinking about becoming a patron of the show, now is the time. We just posted some new members-only premium content. Head on over to patreon.com slash Pod. That's patreon.com slash C-S-H-A-P tennis pod. Also, I want to thank Illust Ever Sunglasses for my new shades. They are all handcrafted in Italy. They're sweet. I wear the Leonard's. And if you go to illustever.com, they are offering 25% off the whole shebang. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released. <laughs>